welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party, but dancing. I'm your host, Savita Sundar. I'm a school-based occupational therapist. This podcast is a space for OTs and others who work with children and youth in education to be informed, inspired, and empowered to create an inclusive community for the students they serve. I met with Carol Conway last September. Carol is one of the founding change leaders of the Every Moment Counts program with Dr. Susan Basic. I had heard much about Carol and her inclusion-related work at Hudson School District, Ohio, and really wanted her to share about it um, on our podcast. Carol is now retired, uh, but she has been a school-based and pediatric OT for four decades, and her enthusiasm for her work is very fresh. To further enrich our show today, Carol invited Becca Moskowitz, an amazing speech and language pathologist who worked with Carol at Hudson School District. And these two lovely ladies are here to share with us some practical information on how related service providers help enable inclusive spaces for students with disabilities. Let's jump right in to listen to Carol and Becca. Hello, Carol and Becca. I am so excited to have you on the show today. I have really been waiting for this special interview because I think uh, hearing from related service providers who have actually jumped in and been these agents of inclusion in their school community is something so valuable for our listeners. So um, before we get started with interview questions, I would like for you ladies to introduce yourselves. My name is Carol Conway. Um, I'm an occupational therapist. I've been working in the Hudson School District um, for 15 years. I just retired this past year. I am a uh, been a pediatric occupational therapist for 40 years and have spent the last about 32 within the schools. Uh, I am a, one of the original change leaders for the program called Every Moment Counts. That was... Um, designed by Dr. Sue Basic and a lot of um, therapists in practice. And um, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. Becca? Um, my name is Becca Moskowitz, and I am a speech and language pathologist in the Hudson City Schools. I have been working as a pediatric uh, speech language pathologist for about 18 years, um, 16 of those being in the Hudson City Schools. And um, Carol and I have worked together up until this year um, in many in many different settings and um, one of our most fun settings um, and I think the most beneficial for students has been our um, inclusion in buddies program so I'm excited to be here today. Thank you Becca. So tell us about your buddies program how it started and and where it stands now. So I, I'd like to give credit to an intervention specialist, which is uh, what we call special education teachers in our district and maybe in Ohio, um, who developed a program that she was calling Buddies, where she was um, she was a teacher for kids with most significant needs for multiple disabilities. And she would have kids at the end of the day from their classroom, their peers come into um, her classroom and they would play games or make crafts. And she called it Buddies. And once I saw it, I thought, wow, what a place for OT to be. Um, 
And so I invited myself in. Uh, and then once I was there, I realized what, um, how I could do that at lunch and recess. And that at the end of the day was great, but um, uh, lunch and recess are um, really important parts of the day. You know, as an occupational therapist that the meals and playing are such important occupations that are part of school. You want to extend that a little bit, yeah. Rebecca? I also think um, we kind of piggybacked on that idea because we had started um, to really try to find ways to work with our kids outside or not just within the walls of our um, therapy rooms, but outside. And um, we also talked about uh, and began writing collaborative goals and realizing that um, social communication and social participation go so well together. Um, and we would write these goals together. And then if um, we put a buddies group together at another time at the end of the day, um, we were creating um, like a, a, a false setting almost, you know, a, a very um, made up setting. And we realized that if we went to lunch and recess, things that happen every day naturally, we don't have to create this environment for the kids. It's just there. And we can work on those parts of our goals in that setting. And um, it was just, it, it blossomed and it worked beautifully. And I want to say that we started our um, buddies program probably whew, 12, 14 years ago. We've been doing it for a long time and it has grown and changed. And of course, it grew and changed with the needs of the students. So it didn't always look the same every year. Um, some years we would have multiple groups. And so our, um, you know, we would have, we'd eat lunch with a couple of different groups of kids or play with at recess with a couple of different groups. And then other years, the needs weren't as high. And so maybe we only had one or two groups. So you have been doing this for about 14 years, you said, mm -hmm. right? In, yeah. In some capacity. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. That is, um, that is really, uh, interesting. And, and, and back then you, you kind of, um, evolved what the teacher had started as a buddies, um, program and kind of branched into, working with the, with the kids in their natural contexts, which is the recess and lunchtime and they have their um, neurotypical peers around them and you kind of facilitated a more richer social environment. Correct. Sounds like, yeah, that is really nice. So um, do you provide any kind of training for the buddies? Yeah, um, so we have um, a PowerPoint presentation that we developed and, and tweaked over the years that um, we will take into the classrooms. Uh, so the way our kids are grouped is they're on teams. So there's two or three teachers that have classrooms and kids with different disabilities um, are in those homerooms. So the homerooms in which those, those kids um, are placed, we go into those homerooms and we share um, our presentation and we tell them kind of what we're looking for in buddies. And we do a little teaching on what it means to be a buddy, what it means to be a helper, um, discussing everybody's got gifts and challenges that they um, that they can share with the world. And then we we um, we have some slides about um, different ways that you can help people um, and different levels of helping. And then we present it as a, just an opportunity in the classroom for anybody who's interested to join us. So it's often um, and I don't think we start said this in the beginning, but the program that we have mainly worked in is grades three through five. Um, I've extended this into middle school and it has extended below, but this, 
um, the, the three through five building is where we worked. Um, the program was so successful that they, it was extended on both ends. Um, but um, we, it is always a voluntary position in your classroom and it's considered one of the classroom jobs. So once the kids were heard about bunny buddies, they could sign up um, to be a buddy. And then what would happen, especially in the beginning of the years, is we get a lot of kids who are interested, especially if it's in, if they're new to the program. Um, and then we'd have to rotate buddies through. So we found that it, it was good to at least do it like on a, was it a monthly basis that we kind of rotated because we wanted kids to be able to come enough. And usually buddies met once, maybe twice a week. So it wasn't um, every day, but just because of our schedules. And, um, and then we would rotate kids through. And what we found as we got in fourth grade and fifth grade, we would have kids who would want to be buddies all the time. Um, so we had to take turns. And then sometimes they would just show up at our door and we were like, come on in. So the other thing that we did is that we started, sometimes we would have buddies in the cafeteria, but we found that the um, environment was too loud because we have a very large cafeteria, like with over 200 kids. Um, so we, a couple of years it worked like that, but we would move it into a, into a smaller classroom. So it would be a group of anywhere between like maybe 10, um, 10 to 15 is probably optimal. optimal. Um, sometimes, you know, when you don't want to turn away a kid who wants to be there, uh, peer. Um, so, you know, we could have 20. <laughs> and I think in terms of training, there were some times, I think back at the beginning, we really thought about some formal training and bringing the kids in and teaching them skills. Um, but because every year our students were so different, um, the, the students with special needs, they were so different and they had different needs um, to tailor exactly what they needed from their peers was very challenging because we didn't necessarily know until we saw it happen. Um, and then because our buddies were rotating, it would, it would have been every month, this big training, um, which we didn't find as beneficial as in the moment teaching and modeling and um, reminding the peers, you know, kind of what their role was. And these natural friendships that would form led us then to, um, provide the training that they needed. And, you know, there was a lot of social emotional training that would go on in the very beginning about what it is to be a friend. Um, we did the whole idea, like Becca mentioned of like, what are your gift and challenges? And it wasn't just that our kids with, um, who were neurodiverse had all the challenges is that we were able to talk about, you know, and re and kids were able to reflect, well, what are your challenges? And, um, so, and we had pictures on our slides and Becca, you could probably talk to who, who each person was on the slides better than I, but you know, we have actresses and actresses that all the kids knew that had, that had disabilities. We had athletes um, with disabilities and, you know, and um, so people could re, um, see what their strengths were and that this idea that everybody has strengths, um, everybody has challenges and th that's okay. That is um, really nice how you have this disability awareness kind of woven into the program, um, starting off with explaining to them about strengths and challenges and uh, bringing those real life people and, and, and then educating the kids or training them on maybe their communication. Just wondering, so I'm, I'm guessing a lot of students are AAC users in your I would I wouldn't say a lot. I, I we probably have one to 
four a year, okay. I would say per, per buddy group. Okay. Um, the beautiful thing about our district is that these kids have been together since preschool and kindergarten. So we're not really introducing many kids to other students that they've never met before. It's just a more controlled environment where they can get to know them, I think, on a different level. So they've um, always been around with the, around each other. So they are not in self-contained classrooms. That's my understanding, correct? Correct. Okay. So they're always together in the same classroom and services are brought into the general education classroom? So um, they're not always together. So, um, uh, so all of our kids with um, disabilities or identified students um, belong to a homeroom and then they are included to the maximum extent possible. And we take that very... Um, <laughs> like that's a real important thing for us. We want kids with their peers wherever they can be. Okay, so there may be kids who are getting their math and reading in a, a small group with an intervention specialist, but then they are included in most other parts of the day. And lunch and recess is a time that they were always included, but it's usually in a large group and there was an instruction going on during that time. So um, our goal is always to have kids in, um, in the least restrictive environment to the maximum extent possible. And that's why Becca and I felt like it was really important for us to be doing, um, integrating our services into natural um, environments rather than doing any type of pullout services because um, we our job is to help kids participate to the maximum extent possible at school. Mm -hmm. And we needed to provide our services in the natural environments whenever possible. Of course, it's not always possible, but that's always our, I always say my first question is where in the natural, uh, on an IEP, when I'm thinking about location of services, where in the natural setting can I see a student as opposed to, oh, I'll see them in the therapy room or I'll see them in a pullout session. You know, it's so, it's so diverse across the country. Um, there are some school districts where our, our, the philosophy has been, oh, we see, you see them in their natural environment, which is their self-contained classroom, you know? <laughs> so that becomes their, their natural environment. And there is little awareness that um, the least restrictive environment is, uh, we have to be striving towards lesser restrictive environments, I think, because otherwise the spirit of LRE is really not um, implemented in schools. Okay. So, um, so tell us something about how you have looked into evidence behind this intervention, um, buddies group, peer mediated so, interventions. Um, yeah. So I first started um, when we first started this work uh, a while back. We started uh, looking at the peer mediated intervention research, which really suggested that it was helpful for. Um, kids with um, disabilities to be with their peers. Um, I think the original reset, research was done with, um, uh, with when, when we were thinking about kids with, with autism, but um, I think there's been a lot of research uh, since then that really supported the use of uh, peer mediated intervention as a way to help kids with disability um, to learn skills. But what we have found, um, is that yes, it's really helpful for our, our peers um, to teach our kids, but our kids teach the peers so much. And, um, and I don't know, yeah, 
I didn't know if you wanted to speak to that at all, Becca. I think I, I think you hit it on on the head. I think I mean that it's where it stemmed from. It was uh, we had a year where peer mediated intervention was kind of like the topic that was brought into all the staff meetings and how are we making mm -hmm. this happen? And Carol and I kind of took that idea and found our own, you know, OT and SLP lens um, to 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 use peer mediated intervention. It kind of just turned into this, you know, and incorporated it in our groups. And so there's been a little, there's other um, research that certainly supports this um, inclusive, integrated, natural setting um, work. We know um, that functional and social skills are best learned and practiced in the environment they need them in, as opposed to like in a black setting of a 30 minute social or therapy time. Um, we know that pulling students out of their natural environments is disruptive, not only to their academics, but to their social skill development. Um, and there's some interesting research that shows that being involved in a peer lunch group will decrease bullying by both the children with disabilities as well as their peers. So that it is kind of a, also something if you're interested in bully prevention, having kids do this type of lunch group, um, there is evidence to support that. And one of the um, more interesting studies that I found and really touched my heart was one by Milner and Kelly in 2009. And they interviewed kids with disabilities or kids who were neurodivergent. And they these kids were telling us that they feel in, but not of school, that they are spatially proximal, but socially distant. And I think we can all relate to feeling in, but not of, like you go someplace and you don't know anyone and you feel awkward and you just want to leave. And the research tells us that if the kids don't feel part of the school, um, actual part of the school, it really can undermine their ability to achieve um, a productive life past high school. I know there's a couple spe um, speech studies too. Yeah, and then Asha, you know, speaks to the importance of and the responsibility of providing services um, you know, in the natural setting, um, and that the ultimate goal is for generalization of skills and in, in all areas of, at least I can speak to speech and language, you know, you get a skill in an isolated setting and then generalizing it outside of it just isn't happening. Um, so, um, the research from our, our, our national organization says provide the services where the child needs to use it. And then there's um, some studies that will say that then they're more likely to use it in other natural settings so that it doesn't need to be taught in each natural setting. But if you teach it in one, they can apply it much more um, naturally into another setting um, as opposed to being in the speech room. And also just remembering um, that the law says least restrictive environment. And when we define least restrictive environment, these are the places that that, that would include you know, at lunch and recess. So there's one other study that I wanted to mention, um, and it really talks more about recess and that play. And, you know, play obviously is so important. Um, and that um, they interview kids with um, disability or neurodivergent students, and they asked them what was so difficult about playing and what was difficult about recess. Um, and they reported gaining entry into play, so knowing how to join people, join a game, um, they also talked 
talked about how they wanted to be a legitimate participant as opposed to kind of like, oh, let's just, you have this little role and it's really not part, but you're, you know, you're included, but you're really not playing. So they, that lack of legitimate participation um, and they wanted to develop true friendships. So those are the things that they want. And, and kids practice a lot of that on the playground. And what a better place for OTs and speech therapists to be to develop those skills than on a playground. Um, and the other point about that was that they also reported that they don't want forced participation. So they don't want the adult to kind of take it over and force their participation, but rather teach them how to participate. And so I thought that was um, really interesting because I think that's a fine line because we want to help them, but we don't want to help too, too much, which is something we run into in buddies all the time, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have very helpful peers. Yes. <laughs> the peers often are more helpful than they need to be, want to like kind of take care of as opposed to be a friend of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate with what you ladies are sharing because I've, I've, we've done that in our school as well. And I can kind of like, yes, yes, I know what you're talking about. The peers get so excited, like back off a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. And I think what attracts um, or who is attracted to be a buddy are people who are kind and helpful. And so they think that's what the role is. And so that's the, you know, the dance that um, we play with them. So. Yeah, <laughs> true, true, true. And 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 just can you kind of like um, share um, how this program is run in the sense like so how how does a typical lunch a, a buddy's lunch program look like or how does a a recess yeah. um, look like? Uh, so lunch buddies, um, I think in its in its truest you know sense, like when we have a group that's really gelling and and, and everything is going as as planned as can be for a natural setting. Um, the kids come in to you know, the space that we have provided and just like they would in the cafeteria, you know, we get them, they sit down and um, it's a great place. Um, yeah. I can speak for the OT here. I'm not one, but for the fine motor <laughs> um, piece, um, kids mm -hmm. can practice opening their own applesauces and um, pulling their own tabs off their soft drinks. Um, in the <laughs> lunchroom, a lot of times that's just done for them. So mm -hmm. we're there and we can get them all start started there. And then we're modeling that for the peers. And then eventually we can show the peers, you know, here, put their hand here and then let them open it and, um, or wait till he asks you kind of thing. And just kind of modeling um, the skills that we're trying to teach the, the children. So that that's how it starts. And then um, we often, at least at the beginning, we'll have a question of the day or mm -hmm. um, some kind of sentence starter um, to get the ball rolling, to get them talking and um, to have turn-taking. Um, so um, some kids are, are chattier than others and they can come up with their own topics of conversation. But a lot of times if we start the conversation with some kind of um, sentence starter or question of the day, then they get more involved. Um, they, they see where their similarities lie. Like, oh my gosh, if you had a would you rather and like, I would rather do what this kid does too. I didn't think we had anything in common. You know, it kind of sparks some connections. Um, and then uh, the, the modeling of the natural skill of cleaning up and transitioning to your next, to your next place. Um, it happens so quickly. 
And in the cafeteria, I think everybody, um, you know, has a, a good intent. Let's put everybody in the cafeteria and they should just be able to do everything that's expected. But there's so many hidden rules and different skills that they need to do. So in this small environment, everybody's practicing and modeling all the steps of what lunch includes. So the small group allows us to kind of slow down the world for us at lunch. It really lets our kids who are slow eaters or who have fine motor challenges or you know some self-care kind of challenges to practice the skill you know that they need. Uh, it um, the question of the day is always written on the board when they come in on a whiteboard, and so kids have an opportunity to write their answer. Um, we always laugh because if we're late or don't have the question up, they're like, Miss Becca, where is the question? You know, or, or they'll ask if they could make the question. Mm -hmm. um, so it really is a conversation starter for us. And then there are other times where if we want to facilitate some more turn taking or conversations, we will we will do some other games like we have a die where we'll have um, six questions like one, two, three, four, five, six. And if they roll a one, they have to answer question number one and then they pass the die. And it's just kind of this idea of um, getting to know each other, maybe if the creating opportunities for more communication and participation. Um, it's a great place to practice waiting and self-regulation. Uh, so I would say that's kind of uh, buddies in a, a nutshell for lunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And recess. Yeah, go ahead. And recess buddies, um, it can uh, oftentimes it's on the playground, but it can also be in, um, we have a lot of indoor recess in Northern Ohio. So we do um, have it in, uh, we'll do indoor recess games. If we go out into the, um, to the main uh, playground, it's it's playing, it's bringing things that kids are interested in. Like if you bring out a parachute, you'll have a lot of friends <laughs> come running to play with you and you don't even have to look for buddies. They want to be part of it. So we know that um, our buddies in recess time is part of their IEP minutes. Um, so we will want our kids to be part of recess um, games when, whenever we can make it happen. Um, but sometimes if we're on the playground, we, we just let peers come naturally because if you have an interesting enough activity, you'll get peers. So we might be playing um, kickball. We play, you know, some of those games that, you know, we played growing up like spud, red light, green light, those kinds of things. Um, or you might uh, bring an interesting, um, maybe just have one child or two children and you wanna have a small group and you just bring out like a game outside. Now inside, we play a lot of board games. Um, we do uh, dance parties, like using videos online. We do crafts um, and it's usually a lot of fun. I know, Becca, um, we have found that a lot of kids don't have access to or have not played um, board games because they do so many more video games. So um, I know Becca will laugh because our fifth graders love to play Candyland, right, Becca? Yeah. yeah I was, I was going to say when you mentioned red light, green light, like just because we're working with third, fourth and fifth graders, there is no game that is too babyish, they would mm -hmm. say, you know, they're like, you know, they don't, they don't care. They, they want to play Mother May I and red light, green light and mm -hmm. Candyland and Shoots and Letters and um, yeah. lots now, of great games. Becca, you did a um, talk about um, when we played Spud, 
and what you yeah. did for one of our students who was um, used an AC device. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, Spud. I don't know if you've ever played Spud, but it's 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 a game where everybody has a number, and then when your number gets called, the ball gets thrown up in the air, and you need to catch the ball, and then everybody freezes. You try to tag them, and um, so we took the kids into the gym, and we had a student who had very limited um, AAC use. He he pushed a button. Um, and so we would pre-record um, numbers one through 10 or however many students we had in there. And then he, sometimes with the help of a peer, um, would get to call the number. So he wasn't just watching or somebody wasn't just pushing him around to play the game. He was actively a, a participant in the game that the game couldn't go on if this child wasn't part of it. So um, there's always a way to get every level, um, every skill level involved. That was, and then we had taught these kids another game to play outside. So then they could go teach other kids outside to play the game, and then all the students could be involved. And so, a, an indoor game that we often played was Pictionary. And instead of using the Pictionary cards, because sometimes I felt that those were too difficult, we just made our own and we often teamed kids with a peer. So, um, so some of our kids who were neurodivergent couldn't really draw or draw as well or needed some ideas. So their peer buddy would kind of give them ideas or they might draw it together. Um, and so we were always finding ways to adapt a game so that everybody's included, everybody's having fun. And this is great during our um, buddies time, but like what we find is that because of this exposure, kids are developing true friendships. And, and we see it you know, we'll see them out on the playground playing together or we'll see them in gym class or we'll see them, you know, sitting each with each other at the library because now they know each other and now they're friends. Yeah. And not just helpers. That is, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, that is so, so true because I think authentic inclusion does take intentional effort. And if we yes. don't do that, and if you weren't doing this buddies program, I'm imagining recess would be hit or miss maybe some kids might come and say hi but most of the kids are going to group up with other um kids at their at their level of um interest without even giving any opportunity for kids who who probably don't have the, the communication skills and the social skills to express mm -hmm. themselves those kids are definitely going to not have that that sense of belonging so i think this is such an important thing and i also feel like as ot's we have been so boxed into the fine motor section right, right. <laughs> what what is the point on working in fine motor skills if it's not in a meaningful context correct put into a meaningful context and you guys are doing just that and and just kind of underlining that ot intervention is so much based on modifying the environment as well as the activity in addition to just training the kid to develop isolated skills. So it's funny that you say that because when they hired me at, at Hudson 15 years ago, um, they said, I remember one principal said, saying to me, oh, you'll probably just do, you're just, you'll just do mainly handwriting. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is where we're starting. <laughs> and so 15 years later, here's where we are. So just, you know, as OTs, we, um, and I, I, we have to advocate our scope of practice, you know, and we have to, they don't know what we're supposed to do. We need to advocate what it is and our role in um, inclusion and helping kids participate to the maximum extent possible mm -hmm. is 
so important. Um, there is a quote that I always go back to is that kids don't come to school to receive related services. They come to school to participate. And my job is to help them participate. So, you know, we're not medical That's models. The That's the law, right? Supplementary yes, law. services are to enable kids to be in the least restrictive environment. They're not put in a least restrictive environment to get therapy services. So Carol, that is such an important thing you brought out. Mm -hmm. So true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me something about how you write the goals for these um, groups. Do you have, do you base your goals on, on the, on the opportunity they have in this environment? So um, I wouldn't say that we're ever basing our goals because the child's in a buddies group. Mm -hmm. I would say we, we collaboratively and often with the intervention specialist, I've worked with the vision specialist and the physical therapist as well. What do we want this child to do? Mm -hmm. um, and then if we want them to, so from a speech and language perspective, if we want them to ask questions or make comments, that's totally something that happens within the buddy setting. Mm -hmm. um, if Carol needs to work with OT for um, fine motor, then we know that buddies is going to have an opportunity to do um, Pictionary on the board. So they're gonna be able to write. Um, mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that we ever have sat down and said, all right, we have a kid that's in buddies because our IEPs don't say buddy group. Our IEPs say, you know, a chance to work in a small group in a general education setting. Um, and then we work on that goal in whatever setting is written on the IEP because the child's not gonna be with us forever. The child's gonna go on, you know, to another setting and maybe that, that building doesn't have lunchtime, but they have recess. So we would never specify, I don't think where, like which group the goal needs to be worked on. It sounds like the buddies program is more like one of the tools you use to address the goals, right? Yeah, yep. that's, that's a great it makes a it. very, very therapeutic environment for um, helping them achieve those goals that they can, um, you know, um, they can master in different environments because there's so much engagement built into the buddy program. And Buddies is often not the only place we will see a student. It's like one of the places that we will address their goals. And um, and people are like, well, you know, it looks like you're doing the same thing. And again, so we often say, well, I'm working a little bit more on social participation, which has a huge piece of self-regulation and sensory to it. And, um, and Becca's working a little bit more on social communication. And so they it overlaps. Um, but it's not the same. So we might have an overarching goal um, together, but maybe the objectives might, um, she might be a, doing objective one and I might be doing two or three or, you know, right. so, it really, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, a lot of times a goal, we would title it something like social communication and participation. And then the goal might be something like when working in a group with another student, um, this student will, um, engage for five minutes um, in an activity. And then um, my goal might be the student will ask two questions per session and Carol's might be um, the student will take turns or mm -hmm. remain material or remain yes. on task or yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, then in, and then we would just attach to whichever objectives were ours. Um, and the time together is invaluable, like to be working on it at the same time. It's yes. it's not necessarily written that we have to, because mm -hmm. maybe one year, it just doesn't work that it's all at the same time. But if we do, it's, it's like bonus. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the and child's again, growth uh, is in the center. So yes, that's, that's all that matters, right? When we write our goals, we want to put that child in the center. It doesn't matter whose goal it is, but we want to make sure that we're all kind of transdisciplinarily working on these. Areas. Right. And the gift for us, and because we work in a district, and like so often I'm co-teaching with Becca, but we also might be co-teaching with intervention specialists, not not always in buddies, um, but they are always invited and so are the counselors. But it's that because I spend so much time in a co-teaching model, um, I am, I've become a mini <laughs> person who can support, uh, you know, speech and communication and she has become, you heard her talk about fine motor and some of the things that are doing. So, so that it's such a win-win for the child to be able to um, have skilled people working across environments. Totally. And I think, yeah. And a lot of times the paraprofessionals will join us. Yes. And then mm-hmm. I think that is invaluable because then we are modeling our area of expertise for that person. And then um, the best you know, paraprofessionals that we have, we hear our words coming out of their mouths throughout the entire day because those people are with our children all day long. We hear the students using the words yes. that we use to prompt them. Um, and it's it's awesome. And then the, the child is getting therapy, not really therapy, but all day long. Yeah. They don't need to be with us. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, so, true. so what? Yeah. So the other important thing I wanted to mention about um, lunch buddies is that we eat with children. So we don't stand above them. So when we're sitting at a table, the adults, all, even the paraprofessionals, even if they don't have, it's not their lunchtime, um, we have everybody sit together, even if they bring a little bit of a snack so that it's, it's a mealtime. It's a mealtime that's shared. Um, and it's a different feeling than when you have adults standing over you. So it's more of a, you know, something that you might experience at home, maybe. It's a little more more natural. And I feel like um, we build a different kind of relationship that way. So has, have you followed through to see how they were moving on to middle school and high school? Did those relationships continue? Um, yeah. Quite often, sure. quite often they do. Uh-huh. Um, and Carol got to spend last year working in the middle school so she could see some of our hard work um, <laughs> and how it carried over. Uh, I do think it's very cool. And Carol, I'll let you speak a little bit more to it. But um, there was a student who was a buddy who, when she was in middle school, I believe, um, heard about a program called Our Time to Shine, which is a theater program um, where you pair students of different levels together to create a, a musical theater production. And she brought it to the staff and she found um, 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 a sponsor or I can't remember the term, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody to, to help put it on. And it's a thriving program at the middle school now. And she was one of our buddies. And, and it, that is sowing the seed, right? You sow the seed in elementary and here goes this agent of inclusion who went right. off to middle school and expanded on it. So, yeah. And now um, high school club and the club um, is run. Uh, they have a whole, they have officers and everything. And, and it's really interesting. So uh, many of our kids who are at risk, who we would be considered tier two students, students who are at risk, make our best buddies because they need a place to belong. And I have not been identified as, you know, needing special services, but we know that they um, are either receiving kind of an RTI um, for so, some support. 
But what we have found is our tier two students make our best buddies. Mm -hmm. And this one um, young uh, girl who was a buddy uh, went into the high school and she was more of a student at risk and was very overwhelmed with a very large high school. And she was very overwhelmed with starting out as a freshman and didn't belong anywhere. And we know the research tells us that students need at least one place to belong. And she was invited um, to come to our Time to Shine, the drama club, and she thrived there. And then as she, in her junior and senior year, she was actually an officer there. So um, it was, you know, again, so it helps our kids who are neurodivergent, but it, it really helps all students. You know, we are creating compassionate, empathetic students. Um, and we start with buddies. Um, what we see in middle school is there are, we do some lunch programs. Middle school is a different animal because the scheduling is really challenging. Uh, but by the time we get to high school, we have that club. We have a video club that one of the OTs started. Um, and again, kids just want to be friends with our kids that, that are neurodivergent because they've been exposed. They've been around. They know how to do it. We also have a program called Sparkle Cheer, which mm -hmm. is um, a national program that I heard about. And I actually <laughs> told one of the high school teachers, this is a fabulous program, but I really don't have any time to help you, but look into it. <laughs> um, and so somebody else picked up the ball and we, um, in our district at home football games, we have kids with and without disabilities cheering side by side. Each um, neurodivergent student has a, a cheer mentor they get their uh, lockers decorated. They go to all the, you know, things that the cheerleaders go to. Um, and they also do it for basketball too. So for basketball and football. So what we've seen in this 10 years of really working toward inclusive um, uh, services and integrating our services into natural uh, times of the day is that we really have seen a change in our culture of our kids uh, belonging. So this is this is just such a huge possibility for our kiddos. Um, you know, they are they have such a valuable role in the school community, but sadly they have been this opportunity has been missed out and, and they've been out in the margins, never included yes. and, and 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 just giving giving this opportunity for so many students to thrive and to shine, you know, we were taking that away by sec by segregating these kids into self-contained classrooms when it's, you know, and when you have all these resources, you have all these therapists, so many hours are going into pull out handwriting sessions and pull out fine motor <laughs> sessions. I mean, who said we're experts in handwriting? We never mm -hmm. went, that wasn't taught to us in OT school at all right so somewhere right. along the way we have deviated and become boxed into these roles and and it's high mm -hmm. time we move on and add value add the, these rich experiences into the lives of our students so so what are some obstacles and barriers you have experienced in this program well you just spoke to one of them understanding <laughs> um and so that need to always advocate for what our scope of practice is and um and the other one I think is the scheduling. Um, and I don't understand um, why um, OTs in particular are not in on the playground and not um, in lunch rooms because those are such natural settings. Um, so I feel like some of that is 
just knowledge. We just got to get the word out and we have to, um, it's kind of like the whole thing with OTs and mental health in schools, like people not knowing that we um, support mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just really for us advocating scope of practice. And and I think along those same lines, um, buy-in from the other people yes. involved. Um, like I mentioned, the paraprofessionals, for a lot of students, we need them in there, you know, especially some of students who have more more challenges, physical challenges. But if they don't understand what the goal is and what we're trying to do and that it's not just a social hour for adults <laughs> to talk or um, something like that, there's not the buy-in of how important the time mm-hmm. is. And it's not just, oh, we're going to miss buddies today, no big deal. No, like that's an important by law, that's our time that these students need to be getting these services. Um, so I think that is also a barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I just think the whole, I think buy-in is such an important part, point, uh, Becca. I really do. Because, you know, even from other therapists, um, this idea that you see kids at lunch and recess, that you spend time planning for it, because it's so important. Um, and um, people are worried about their handwriting minutes, <laughs> yeah. or you know, or um, or don't want to give up lunch or recess. And we always say we love eating with our kids because it, we have a contract that guarantees us a thirty minutes lunch. So if we that's work for us, and then we get an extra thirty minutes later <laughs> where we've already okay. eaten our lunch, so we could plan or uh, yeah. plan. To- and I think some years um, a barrier might be the students, not um, the peers, quite quite often, and the students who this is a service for. Some years are better than others. Some mm-hmm. students it works better for them. Some are ready for buddies, some are not. Um, right. And because we do the rotating thing, you know, some months are better than others. Yes. Um, and mm-hmm. the, the overhelping, right? Like so, sometimes it could become more of a problem because the kids are learning in buddies. So and so opens my drink for me. <laughs> yes. I'm just going to have so-and-so open my drink every week, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. right. and yeah. so we do really try to teach. You're not teaching, mm-hmm. you, you know, right. you're part of kids becoming kind of bossy and taking on this, like, I'm, I'm a little above yeah. you and here I am. You got to listen to me kind of attitude. Have you seen that mm-hmm. happen? Sometimes, but I don't think those are the ones that stay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, not, not by our choice. I think mm-hmm. you, you eventually find the ones that want to be there and, mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of times just, it just happens. I mean, we don't even have to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you were to leave our listeners as a speech therapist, as an occupational therapist, and I think you've kind of spoken about these, like if you were to give a final takeaway for our listeners, what would that be? It's a good one. I guess, you know, I have kind of, said it but I really like I would like OTs in particular to advocate for your scope of practice I would like for you to try a small group at lunch or at recess Um, personally I find lunch a little bit easier um, unless it's a a small group indoor recess groups Um, the playground for me sometimes is a little challenging but sometimes it's where my kids really need to be but I guess it's like to think outside the box I will tell you that Personally, the time that I have spent integrating my services, co-teaching, and focusing on inclusion have been the best part of my job. And I have always loved my job. This part has been amazing. Yeah. 
Um, I always tell the students too, when, when we're doing the initial um, presentation, I say, this is the best part of my, my job is what I'm telling you about right now. And um, I think it's not just great for the kids, like we said, but for all of the adults um, over the years, uh, as a speech therapist, I have become more of just another teacher in the mm -hmm. building than that special teacher that some kids go to. Um, kids say hi to me that I'm supposed to know their name because maybe they've been a buddy for a while, and <laughs> and you know they know us, mm -hmm. and and they and it it creates a better culture in the building completely um, because of this one little thing that we we tried to do 12 years ago, and it just grew. Um, so it win, 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 win for everybody. <laughs> so true, so true. And it kind of makes the path for full, meaningful inclusion, right? All these efforts that you have taken, yeah. that you're taking. So mm -hmm. thank you so much, Carol and Becca. This was very, very nice. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to have, um, have some thoughts to put into action. And thank you so much. And I think the work that you're doing is so important and um, so much, so needed. So keep it up. <laughs> Thank you.